Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Breaching Extinction podcast. I hope you guys had a good few weeks. I am here with Kendra Nelson. We are doing our four episodes that we usually do with Liam, but Liam is MIA, probably doing crimes, unsure. Um, can you defer, confirm or deny where Liam is at this time? Um, however, yes, we are here to continue with our four episodes, which are our well, they're supposed to be shorter, but sometimes they're not because sometimes it gets a little juicy in here. Um, episodes, and we are reading the book Being Salmon, Being Human, Encountering the Wild in Us and Us in the Wild by Martin Lee Mueller. And we have been reading this for the last several weeks. We do two chapters a week. Um, this week we did chapters nine and ten, and so we're gonna dive into our thoughts on that. And this book is just so juicy, so juicy every day. Like every time I read it, I'm just like, wow, that tea is hot, sis. Every time. <laughs> this is too much, Kendra. Kendra's just laughing. An, interest, an interesting analogy. I, I, I understand, but um, uh, interesting word choice. Interesting word choice. I just, word well, choice. I think it's just like we were like previously before we started recording we were talking about gay whales and i just feel like i got into that like we flipped yeah we're, we're still in the funny we're still in the converse yeah gay whale conversation um yeah mindset i mean i'm kind of always there not gonna lie but yeah um so we read chapters nine which is the earth ever struggled to be heard and chapter 10 salmon boy um and yes this book just every time just wow um i like the so basically this guy goes into kind of our different relationships with nature and he talks about um how you know native americans or different people throughout history have interacted with and and viewed um the salmon but the chapter nine focuses a lot on the elwha river um, and he brings up Thomas Adams, who was like an explorer back in the day and how um, he starts with talking about how he basically like, you know, he felt that material happiness was not sufficient um, for a life lived happy and well, which is me kind of rewording the quote on page 156. Um, and he said that the Salvation Army people know that the substantial and worthwhile things in the world are the spiritual things and the good they can do to help their fellow men. And basically he goes into talking about how like the world is not, you know, good because people are not like needing each other and like that we basically need to have this like spiritual connection and that we need to spend time in nature in order to have like a fruitful life. But then he later goes on to talk about how Adwell shifts directions and then kind of goes to this point where he is then exploiting the Alwa dam because that he it puts him in a position of power which I think is just like such a classic narrative of like starting with good intentions starting in a heart space and then moving into how can I um dominate the situation how can I exploit how can I take from this um and I just like I feel like this could be applied to literally like any honestly any issue just that you look at today like whether it's like a issue with like race or covid or the environment and like especially different issues within the whole southern resident situation um but i definitely thought that that was like interesting that that's how he started it out what did you think about that part kendra yeah i feel like that 
it stood out more because it contrasts directly with the at the end of Salmon Boy or like kind of like in the second half of the Salmon Boy chapter. So chapter 10, he talks about how the oh, I don't know if I what is the name of the group of people, um, the Klalem people, how they had so they had the capability to like destroy they had amazing technology to destroy salmon runs to burn down forests and build up civilization like they could have capitalized off of what was going on around them and had more than they needed but on page 199 it said it says but evidence suggests that the interwoven web of salmon-based native american people throughout the pacific northwest including the clallam never seriously overshot their economic base nor did they imperil their own livelihood mm-hmm. and so they for years and years and years had the capability to potentially exploit what was given to them and in, in a harmful way we all we all exploit resources for our benefit um to live it's how we live we need to eat and drink and um but they never did whereas adwell came and seemed to have like a similar and not as not that exact and not the same intention but just that the simple things in life it's not about material goods but then he hears about the dams and takes advantage of the dams and which um negatively impacted the clallam people and the salmon because they didn't build salmon ladders on the dams um etc cetera, etc cetera. but i just thought that was an interesting contrast between the two chapters because you see this story and just the overarching of these two chapters, the theme was like essentially colonization, both yes. of like the mind and the land. Yes, most definitely. Yeah. yeah, I like, yeah, I definitely like noticed that too. And like, it's, it definitely like, I it has a lot to do with culture. And like, while reading this, it just like, it definitely made me sad because obviously like we know that the situation with every indigenous group that's ever lived on what is now called the United States has not been a positive situation with colonizers. Like it's just not like no matter what way you flip it, it's just not good. But it just like made me even more sad to see that like it, it's just like if things would have if colonization wouldn't have happened, like so many things would be different for the planet as a whole, as far as because like of how much like we just emit pollution and like the influence that like our westernized culture has on the world. But like especially when they were talking about like the like the story of the um I'm probably gonna say it wrong, so I do apologize. Kalam, do you know if that's how you say it? I was saying because there's an L, I said Klalam, Klalam. but I don't know. Um, but when he was talking about the story of the strong people or the Klalam people, um, and he was talking about how like they had viewed nature and he shares this beautiful story that if you can't read, you know, all of this chapter, please read page 160 to 162, where he basically talks about how, um, they had viewed, you know, the maker, which is, I guess how some people would maybe associate like God or something like that. Like, you know, the maker of the universe, that was like, giving things make sure that people's needs were met that there was like no suffering you know he gave people all these things and then because of that um there's a quote that says on one page 160 lacking any meaning in their lives they become self-righteous wicked malicious driven by the craving to distinguish themselves from everyone else they become narcissists so he basically talks about how not having real problems they create kind of these fake problems and like it creates a nasty world 
Um, and then there is suffering because like, you know, because if people are acting like that, then they do have these needs met. They're not just like content with what, you know, the maker gave them, which was having your basic needs met, like not having suffering. And then he goes on to say that, like, you know, there were ancestors that, um, like, you know, they had, so basically no one died. They had immorality and nobody died. And then once they kind of realized that that wasn't working, he decided that death could be a thing. So they sent the son of like this creator down um, and he decided that like death needed to happen. And there was a young girl that was going through a lot of abuse from her mother. And so he asked her if she wanted to stay or like if she wanted to leave, like meaning die. And then apparently the two of them walked off and that was her transition into death. And then from there on after there was death. Um, And he said that basically at that point when there were enough people that were dead, Um, he talked with the ancestors of these people because they're like looking down onto this world and they're like, what is going on? Like, this is chaos. This is not good that we have people that are starving. We have people that are like severely suffering. What can we do? And there were some ancestors who agreed to come back down into the form of salmon to feed their people. Um, and like, this is just such a different mindset and like it, it just makes my heart ache because like we've talked about the connection that people that especially indigenous people have to salmon. And I just feel like that, like after reading this, it, it puts my mind in a completely different like sense of like, where you to the point where it's like, you know, you're eating your ancestors and your ancestors came back to feed you. And then like the state of the rivers, like, it's just like, uh, it was just like it made it it was like hard to read it was a really beautiful story and like it also just kind of makes me sad that like we don't think in necessarily poetic or spiritual terms or that that is so looked down upon and it's like you know if things if colonization hadn't happened I think that obviously like our planet would be in a much better place because it sounds like and obviously I'm I'm not studying every single indigenous group that's ever existed in, you know, this area, but it sounds like a lot of, of them had the right idea of like living in a sense of balance and having that deeper connectedness. And I, you know, I think this is just furthering the case of like having a spiritual connectedness or having a deeper connectedness to nature helps people to feel more connected to it and want to take care of it and not just exploit it. I think maybe it gives to a, you know, a sense of responsibility over the land. Yeah. Well, I feel like it's not necessarily that we don't think spiritually or poetically. It's that we consider our spiritual and poeticness superior to those. So like they say, I don't remember what page it's on, but they tell the story about the missionaries or Christians that came and told the story of, um, oh, it's right here. On page 171, a missionary undertook to instruct a group of Indians in the truths of his holy religion, essentially the indigenous people listened to him. And when he was finished, they told him their story of the creator and whatever, whatever the story is, they didn't say what the story was. Um, They just gave him a traditional story of um, concerning the origin of maize is what it said. And then the missionary plainly showed his disgust and disbelief indignantly saying, what I delivered to you were sacred truths, but this What this that you tell me is mere fable and falsehood. My brother gravely replied the offended Indian. It seems you have not been well groomed in the rules of civility. You saw that we who practice these rules believed your stories. Then why do you refuse to credit ours? And basically that is 
the juxtaposition of Christian colonization of everywhere, uh, it like I know it more so because of Hawaii living in like Latye is a very Christian colonized area, um, settled area. And so it's just, it's that other. And then he kept, he keeps referencing Descartes again in these two chapters, Descartes otherism. So anything that's not what we already knew, we don't like, and we consider to be animalistic. And that was the problem with indigenous people that they saw was, especially if I liked the bit about shape-shifting when they were telling the stories about shapeshifters and how Christian settlers and colonizers saw those as like witchcraft stories, horrible, awful. They did not like them. And yet I liked how they, how I forget who he was talking to, but she had said, they actually are important stories because they directly tied the people to the creations around them, which is what harbored those that like, and what's the like conservational spirit. I don't know. I'm trying to think of what sure. to call it. Taking care of the planet because the salmon are literally your ancestors. Yeah. The killer whales are your, also your ancestors, like the passed on leaders, like all those things, things that connected them, these stories of shapeshifters directly tied you to wildlife, to the trees, to everything around you. Thus, exploitation would be like a direct harm to your bloodline, to you, to everyone around you. And so that I was like, wow, that perfect, because that's not like a Christian thing. The earth was gifted in Christianity. The earth was gifted and created to cater to humans. And that's how we treat it. And like, he even says a quote in here where he, I was, it made me giggle, but in like, like a dark, like, oh my gosh, like self-reflective giggle. Um, I don't know what page it's on, but he like put in quotes are quote resources for our like in quotation. Um, oh, here it is on page 163. Before long, the Elwha River and the old growth forests surrounding it were turned into, quote, organic machines compelled to yield raw power and raw material, quote, resources that were to bring, quote, progress to the West. Because that's how we look at the earth as like colonizers, yes. as people who are like, like I grew up Christian, my whole family's from Christian, they're from yeah. um, Europe. That's how the earth is taught to us growing up. We are not a part of it necessarily. It is around us. It was gifted, created for us to help us then return to heaven. It's just like a passageway. Yes. Um, and that's like a huge reason, uh, but along with just other things um, as to why I think there's more of a disconnect. And like even nowadays, there was a study that that was published or a paper ooh, like four months ago, five months ago that talked about how indigenous history is often science we know so much about science because indigenous history was correct yeah um they knew the earth and that indigenous people all around the world preserve 80 percent of the world biodiversity they're not in leadership roles rarely ever there are some places where that's not normal like that's not that is the case but for the most part no especially like in north america that is not the case. And yet they are still the ones preserving and maintaining most of the biodiversity, fighting for it, speaking up for it, all that kind of stuff. It's stuff like that, you know, and that's what made, I feel like these two chapters more poignant in like colonization, the harm of it, looking at kind of these stories that paint the picture more, especially for people who are not coming from who like just kind of you grew up hearing like the only thing I ever learned growing up about I think anything indigenous was the trail of tears yeah 
that's yeah. the only thing that's the only thing i i knew I, and then like yeah the free willy story because i watched free willy a million times but i don't think that's a real actually i'm not sure but yeah. like those were the two exposures that i had yeah i you just don't think about it i feel you i learned about like cherokee people because i'm from like that Appalachian mountain range area and that's like where they used to live so we learned a little bit about them but like it was also very distorted it was the classic you know being friends with the Native Americans Thanksgiving yay we're friends very racist narrative um yeah now we have the reservations and everything's fine exactly um which is like not factual and then I remember learning about Pocahontas and like from what I know now about the actual Pocahontas versus what I learned in school vastly different um but no, it's totally frustrating. And then like he talks about two in certain sections of the book, like on page 190, like there's a, ch- a quote that says the notion of lower animals or lower stages of culture have like linear um, historical com- connotations. So basically he was talking about how like some cultures are perceived as like immature or less advanced. And like, um, you know, there were a lot of indigenous communities that viewed no creature as being more or less than another creature and like us being on that same playing field but like yeah I totally like I remember like it like I remember my grandma as a kid like when I would be like treating animals with respect or like if I like had a heart for you know a wild animal whether it be like a little goose or a possum or something that I like found that was like suffering or like it was like my own dog or my own cat like she would definitely get like upset with me and be like, why is this animal in the house? Animals are like less than not that I'm bringing geese into my house or whatever. But like, if I would try to care for something, like she would be like, why are you doing this? Like, God doesn't care. Like, this is not like, this is gross. And like, yeah, animals carry diseases, but so do we like, hello, what's up COVID, you know? Um, But like, I definitely like, see where that narrative comes from and then he also talked about too let me see if i can find it but he basically talked about like um native americans living in poverty and that poverty like directly um being ah here it is page 195 um he's quoting andrew fitzgerald who uh shared this ritual with him Uh, he said your life when you grow up means nothing until you have your power People are impoverished without it. Like the idea of living in poverty, the only way that our people ever get considered um, something pitiful or impoverished was when they didn't have any power. Power is a hard word to translate into English. What that means is that you didn't possess anything that would be able to, that comes from within you, your community around you, that would be able to translate and help your community which that little part is a little weirdly worded, but basically like the world that we live in money is power. And like, there are a lot of indigenous communities that suffer, suffer from living in poverty. And like, I feel like that's something that's really hard. You, it's hard to explain that experience to someone else who's never like experienced, like having your light shut off, like worrying about like being evicted, maybe not having like basic things like soap or food. And it's fucking expensive to be poor. Like there's a, there are taxes on being poor, like not literal taxes, but like if you um like, you know, can't afford something, you're often going to pay a higher rate for something. Or you're, if your account gets overdrafted, you're going to have more overdraft fees. Like, or if you can afford to pay for something in advance, you're often going to get a discount versus if you can only afford to pay month to month. Um, and it's hard to like 
have the mental or physical stamina to actually do something powerful when you are in a place of poverty where it's like you're in a survival based situation and like the system is designed to keep you there and like indigenous people absolutely fall under this category obviously that's not every single like indigenous community but like that's also one of the things i think is important to bring up because you were talking about like majority of the people that do conservation work are indigenous people um like they're at a severe disadvantage to zero fault of their own like it's completely like uh, it's messed up and it's just like beyond frustrating to see that like the people who are doing the right thing who have been doing the right thing and i'm not saying that like every single obviously like this is a generalization like not every single person group whatever but like the ones that are for the most part putting in the work the ones that for the most part have been like the whole time trying to preserve the salmon trying to preserve these other things like and also like when the co-extinction film comes out and people watch it there's a really interesting bit in there where one of the leaders was you know talking about like his experience with um trying to get more resources in and kind of having to exploit the environment but he's like but my people need like daycare and then my people need like these other basic things and so it's like i'm you know while you do want you do want the dams to go down you know you could acquire benefits that would meet people's basic needs and it's like I don't know. It's the kind of in my mind, like that sort of thing is kind of the same as like the poachers that do it out of necessity where it's like, you're like, it's not like you're being like, okay, like, yeah, let's, I fully support this, but it's like, it's an out of necessity sort of situation. Um, so just yeah. Well, it's the issue of poverty being kept in poverty of low income communities and environmental racism. Like those are very similar things. And a lot of times the lower income impoverished neighborhoods are also the most, well, they are the most impacted by environmental issues in the, in like the Western world and thus environmental racism, which people are like, the environment can't be racist. That's not what that means. And this, like, it's not literally the environment's racist. It's, it's like, the best, the best resource that I feel like people would actually like sit down because someone's going to read a book about it because I, I, there's books, but there's a movie on Netflix called There's Something in the Water and Elliot Page did it and goes to communities in Canada, I believe in Ontario, um, and talks to communities that are facing like water crises and are living near like dangerous um, polluting power plants of different types and goes to this community. The majority of the community are people of color and someone in every single house has cancer and like points it out. And then all these other, there's all other kinds of statistics, but he goes around with um, a woman that he's interviewing for the movie. And she's pointing out every person in these neighborhoods. Uh, She died of cancer a little bit ago. Now the husband has cancer. They have cancer. They have cancer. It's that. That is environmental racism. When you are living and stuck in somewhere because it's hard to get out of poverty, poverty is made to keep people poor. Our system in the Western world is not meant to help people out of those situations. And so you're stuck there. And then you're stuck in these environment, like these different environmental issues uh, like that. And they, and it's kind of goes into it in the book too. But yes, anyone watch the documentary, just saying. But in on page 163, that's I literally just wrote colonization. And he's talking about the Elwha River putting up the dam. Um, returning salmon crushed their heads into in futile attempts to overcome the concrete wall that could not be surmounted. The number of returning salmon dwindled quickly from 4,000 to less to 400,000 to less than 4,000. 
With the salmon disappearing, the Klalem were cast into a struggle for survival that became physically and culturally desperate. The near total loss of salmon meant the loss of the economic base that have nourished them since time immemorial. With their oldest ancestors suffering so greatly, the Klalem strained to uphold their identity, substance abuse, domestic violence, unemployment, suicide, a loss of self-esteem, and a loss of language. Each took their toll on a people whose economic and cultural heart, the salmon, was entirely had nearly entirely stopped beating. That dams have created a form of poverty and environmental racism in a lot of in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's completely cutting off a resource that it one, it's not even that it needs to be a resource. That's a culturally significant thing. We don't need to put a monetary value on it to just have value. Yeah. And this draws it out. You can't read like this is the effect of colonization directly on a group of people. And then now we saw the negative effects of the Elwha River. Now the dam has been taken down. The Elwha River has salmon back. Like we also have the the recovery story to this now. I don't know if that's in the book. We haven't gotten that far yet, but I wonder if that will be a part of it because that's a huge thing when we talk about the Snake River dams that comparing to what happened with the Elwha and seeing like an immediate dam breach. We there were salmon jumping back up. So, you know, breach the yeah. snake river dams. But like it's just one of those things. And of course, like we are white. Yeah. So it reading this, and I'm pretty the author is a white man. Um it's like it's yeah. So putting but these these are stories that he is retelling, but I'm just gonna say that we are yeah. both white. He is white. Um but this is like reading these and this and in maybe other people had better education on indigenous things. I did not. So reading things like I've, I have other books. I've been doing more research. I lived in Hawaii. So I have a lot of information about like Kanaka Maoli, who are the indigenous Hawaiians who were greatly displaced by colonization and missionaries um, in Hawaii. Don't go to Hawaii, respect Kanaka. Why is not a part of the U S just going to plug that. Um. <laughs> yeah, girl, put it out there. Like, cause well, I think that was like my first exposure to ever learning about indigenous yeah. movements. And so I know a lot about that. I lived there and that was something I learned. I'm a colonizer. I moved here. I'm displacing Kanaka. I'm left. And I don't have ever the intention to go back and live there because I displace someone who is meant to be there. I am not meant to be there yeah. essentially. And learning that, and I think this book for a lot of people could be a great way to just reflecting on you are a colonizer. Yeah. You yeah or your ancestor, where you are currently, these and acknowledge it and start to look for people to support, look for ways you can donate to organizations, um, ways to uplift indigenous voices. So, like co extinction, it's uplifting the real yeah. people and the, the heroes. And the indigenous people who are fighting for these causes because they have been doing it for years and they deserve. And then I guess Tokite, if you look at what's happening with Tokite um, or Lolita, that's who should be elevated and leading this discussion. And that's kind of what drives me a little bit crazy about the anti-cap movement revolving her is so often the Lummi people are drowned out just because people hate SeaWorld, even though SeaWorld's not involved. But that should be the leading voice, what they say, because when you listen to them talk about her, they talk about her like she's a missing indigenous woman. 
like yeah Tokite is a part of of that um and it just puts kind of the situation I don't know for me I like it just is that's the voices that should be elevated in the discussion no they absolutely should and it's like it's hard like to it, it's the world that we live in like there's so much like on social media and they're there we're just like oversaturated with media and voices and opinions and things like that and like they for for years the indigenous voices have just been lost over time and like they're still not prioritized which is frustrating um and it's also hard to like I know at least for like trying to have different indigenous voices on the podcast like I have reached out and just like not heard back because it 100% is better to hear it directly from them versus us us white people reading a book that another white person wrote that's like retelling a story like it's 100% better and but like there's a lot of trust that like has to be built like in order to have like those sorts of relationships and also like to uh, there's a lot of resources like I was trying to find more resources on like the Lummi Nation and luckily I got like a couple of good like leads and a couple books which I can link below um I can't think of all their names off the top of my head but like um there isn't like compared to what we have on on just what we consider U.S. history like post-colonial U.S. history there's nothing in comparison like um like that's even as easily accessible or whatever. Cause I know I, there were a couple of books that I looked at too, that were like hundreds of dollars, which is like why I didn't. Yeah. Like, that. like textbooks. Yeah. Kind of a thing. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely a hard conversation to have. I think like it's important to open up that conversation. Cause when you just like continue to push it underneath like the rug and like not enough people will talk about like environmental issues and environmental like racism because it's we're like let's be real like the marine science field or like environmental field is full of rich white people it just is Mm -hmm. like i'm like xenophobia is insanely prevalent in this field like towards asian people especially like literally i don't so much of like anti-cap is like taiji dolphin japan Mm -hmm. and so much of that is just charged with racism and xenophobia towards uh Japanese and Chinese people yeah it's insane and it's like it, and it's from these big organizations and that's what drives me crazy is a lot of these big organizations don't check people they claim that they're intersectional they they're up and like no they and but like in their comment sections I've seen some of the most deplorable comments aimed at um I'm speaking about Asian people because that's what yeah. I'm referencing uh, towards Asian people like sink all of the Chinese fishing vessels oh, no like like we all have an exploitation problem it's not a yeah. Chinese and like they I've seen comments they say that Chinese people all have bad morals because of fishing no and it's yeah. like and organizations leave the comments up they don't delete them they don't check them they don't make posts that are like we were nothing things don't get done no one talks about it and they ignore the fact that there are people in these countries, in Japan, there are Japanese activists that talk about Taiji. Those are the voices that should be elevated because so much of the time when we talk about Taiji, it becomes super xenophobic and racist. 100%. No, I totally agree with you. And it's also like, I think too, it's just like when you don't understand the culture or where you don't try to understand the culture, like then it's, it, like, it's much easier for that situation to happen. Um, but no, it doesn't get talked about enough. And like, I have heard, I like have a friend who was part of like a kind of educational group and um, like wanted the members of this like little organization that he was a part of to speak up about that. Like he was like the only 
like Asian person. And I, I believe that he, there was somebody else that was like half Asian, but like still wouldn't speak up about it. And like, you know, it was part of like why he continued not to, to work with that organization is because like, they, like, it was like frustrating for him. He's like, hi, I'm an Asian person. And like, you don't get to tell me as white people that something is not racist and they didn't listen and they wouldn't talk to like, talk about the role that that plays. And it's like, that's not for, you don't, you don't get to decide like what is racist or non-racist. If you have somebody who is marginalized coming to you and saying, hello, this affects me. And this is unfair in this way. Like you don't, sorry, you don't get to decide like, and also you, you shut up and listen. Yeah. Because a lot of times too, like, I mean, like I'm a big firm believer in giving people the benefit of the doubt, but like, it, like you like it and a lot of times people just don't know or, and it's like if you're if you've only been in like a western christian mindset your whole life and then you read this about how like you know the salmon are coming back as like ancestors and like then you know they're feeding their people or whatever that's a totally different mindset and like so i could see how if your mind has never even been opened up to that sort of perspective like why you would come across that way or why you would say things that would be like xenophobic or racist like not saying that it's okay but like until you're like educated or open up to something else like it you know I don't know it's just frustrating you don't get to well I'm reading that from like a Christian mindset I can put myself in the shoes of younger me who was very Christian and just like only cared about I was raised Mormon (laughs) but I would read that and be like oh what a cute story but I wouldn't understand like the deep cultural tie that that is like what I heard about um trying to think of stories like the things in the bible Mm-hmm. You grew up, you hear about these like Noah's Ark. That is like a key part why we have animals on earth today. Noah's Ark. It's like, and you're deeply tied, like you're raised hearing that, yeah. that you believe that this great flood happened. Not in it. This is a yeah. completely different story, but reading like um, about the creator in the story that creates human life or not human, all life. Mm-hmm. And they're all immortal. Then they become not, I don't think selfish was the word, but they start seeking like the story you described earlier yeah narcissistic yeah. so i get okay selfish yeah okay selfish just fit there and that was the origin of sin and then they introduced death and then the ancestors decided to come back as the salmon and then the salmon boy story ties more into that that the bones are directly linked to their existing people today um that just sounds like a cute little story that's like how we think of it but that's yeah. that is a deep tie that is like a belief Such a deep tie a significant cultural and you want to throw in religious history yeah and just because it's not yours not because it's not christian because yeah. everyone's obsessed with christian and christian stories that doesn't mean that it doesn't you shouldn't respect it yeah that it's be not able to acknowledge that value 100 percent. yeah but and so yeah that all i just I, I think if someone could read this be aware that yes a, a white man wrote this um, and that we are two white women speaking about it. So to always do more research and to go to sources that you can find yeah. that are directly, they're just people. But if this is like someone's first exposure to indigenous stories and confronting the colonizer that is all of us, not all of us, but that we are. Yeah. Like I, it just, straight up it is. We all participate in capitalism. Like whether or not it's- a My choice. first time was moving- yeah, my first time was moving to Hawaii and it was weird. I, I didn't know what colonization was and it was a process to start to think in a way that I acknowledged my presence there was not good and things that I did were not 
good. And the way that I spoke about living there and acted and treated things were not good. But you grew like, and that's the thing. And that's the thing I think a lot of people are unwilling to admit that they've like made a mistake um, or like admit or that, that they're just ignorant. Yeah. Or they're just ignorant. Like, I mean, I was ignorant to the Hawaii thing too, because my ex is Hawaiian and like, we had talked about that. Cause I was a really obviously very important thing to him. Like, um, like he's ancestrally Hawaiian. He's like fifth generation, like having lived in Hawaii. Um, and like, I had talked to him about like whale watching in Hawaii and he basically was just like, yeah, like it's not like, you know, like people that move to Hawaii for like their little fun adventure is like not great. He's like more like white people need to stop moving to Hawaii. And then he was also like, cause like he went in and kind of explained how like it's making rent more expensive for the people that have lived there always, you know? Um, and like, it's just like, yeah, no, I feel you. And I feel like even visiting Hawaii sometimes like seems a little sketch to me even. They ask, yeah. Kanaka- right now because of COVID. Yeah, Kanaka Mali asked not to. The tourism industry is, you cannot truly ethically travel to Hawaii in like a ethical, sustainable way because it's all meant the Hawaiian culture is fetishized and thrown at you to make it seem like the Aloha spirits, not, not a thing that is catered to make white people who are there vacationing feel better. And it makes the, and so everyone says, I hear all the time when they're like, well, we were the, the Hawaiians we saw were so nice and they loved us there. I'm like, that's because they're working. I promise you that is yeah. not how you are being perceived at all. Like take five minutes to do a little bit more research and actually look at like grassroots organizations, look at things like, and see, and in Hawaii, Christianity is a huge, is I think the reason for colonization. My university is one of those. Yeah. Christian missionaries banned the Hawaiian language. They banned hula because it was just, they didn't approve of it. And they thought it was like barbaric, essentially. Olelo Hawaii, which is the Hawaiian language, is an endangered language. It, or it was, I think it, I think it still is because people weren't allowed to speak it hula was the way they told stories and that that was banned that was like the reason that survived was because people were doing it illegally it's that it's it's just and people just don't know that which to be fair they don't teach it in school you know you don't learn that in the mainland we just learn learn oh hawaii's part of america it's the 50th or yeah 50th state 40 something i I don't even know they're sovereign nation. They're not, they're not a part of America. I'm, but, um, the illegal overthrow and annexation, like stuff like that, they don't teach you that. So when you're there and you may learn that, but a lot of people refuse. Like I know a lot of people I went to school with refuse. They still want to live there. They are just like, well, Hawaii is America. They lost. We won. I hate that. I hate that. Like I've heard people be like, oh, history is written by the victors. And I'm like, let me just throw up on you (laughs) right now. Like, no hard path. It's, it was like learning that was weird because I was always like, oh, and Christians really fetishize um, Polynesia. I don't know if this is in other phase, but Mormonism is awful about it. Um, it's just bad. So I was like, oh, like the Polynesians loved learning about Christ. They love Mormonism. Hawaiians were like so grateful. Like Laie Temple was one of the first temples like at, like ever in terms of like Mormon temples. It's one of the first ones. I want to say one of the first 10 or first 20. 
Um, I think 10, though. But that is not the case. Missionaries are the reason that, like, Olelo Hawaii was almost lost, that Hula yeah. was almost lost, that the culture was almost lost. And you don't know that. And so when you learn that, that's, it's, I don't know, it's awkward. It's weird. And I'm happy that I was open-minded and wasn't like immediately defensive about it and that I accepted it and learned my place for sure and shut up and listened and then acted on it yeah like and and I left and now encourage people not to go and I'm like no don't look at what I did me going to school there and like I tried to be the opposite like not to be someone that's just like yeah go to school like like I just follow what I hear Kanaka say because I don't get to say it's not your choice if people can yeah. go there no and like there's not enough like information about it like I remember like like when my ex first brought it up to me I, like I was like surprised because like it's just like I haven't heard of like and I, it's just uh, ignorance on my behalf of like just not knowing enough about Hawaii just not knowing enough about like you know I'm sure there are other places where indigenous people are like do not come here thanks um but yeah I like didn't know and like also like that, like he teaches Hawaiian language. And like, that was like always one of his like big things. It's like, it's like, he has a lot of different passions and a lot of different things that he does, but like, he has kind of felt like he needs to go back and teach Hawaiian language because that like, no one is there to teach it. And he's afraid that if he doesn't do it, that it's going to get lost. And like, who that's set, like, you know, that's not, that's, that's a, it's because of us that that's happened. It's that that's and happened. it's, you should feel guilty like I, I like I felt yeah. guilty and like I think it's just like important to just yeah. like just fucking throw it out there like I just like it's annoying when people just shove the shit under the rug they act like it's not happening like I am definitely ignorant to certain issues but it's like um we're gonna we're not gonna learn unless we have a conversation here so let's just like bring it up on the table let's talk about it also just like straight up like there's a lot of like there's a, so much racism that goes into environmental issues there's sexism there's like like every fucking form of marginalization that you experience just in day-to-day life there's an ism and an ist it is in if it's it is in (laughs) it's in the environment and freaking do something about it like uh, obviously nobody's perfect right nobody's perfect we all make mistakes like you just said you made a mistake you moved to hawaii like you had this experience thank you for sharing this experience with us and like informing other people on not doing that because like i had definitely considered doing the back and forth like you know, like Alaska to Hawaii situation. Like, cause like I did have like the job offer in Alaska and then I was like, Oh, I could do that. And I was like, nah, um, it's yeah. So it's like, it definitely is important. It's something that like you need to consider like for sure. And like, it's like, and that goes, that goes for mainland places too. Canada, yeah, definitely. US. Like you're living on stolen land stop being prideful about it and just learn about it literally and I did yeah it's just that's kind of it and so I feel like in that that was the part to the book I feel like that was the part of the book that um I feel like it's been setting us up it's been talking about how capitalism and colonization which capitalism is the result has had us view the salmon and we've been setting up the whole book how do we view salmon as a resource? We don't look at the salmon as salmon, but this chapter, these two chapters really broke into the history of the original people of the lands related and looked at salmon. Yeah. And 
And then at the end of the Salmon Boy chapter, getting into like the conservation value, not overexploiting, even though they had every capability to do so. And a big part of that, it seems, and is the implication of the author and the other um, people he interviewed, that that is because of their stories and their cultural ties to the salmon. It, w- it was because of their culture, which we have now erased and pushed out and tried to get rid of residential schools. Hello, there you go. That's a thing that was, that is the, the issue. I don't know if that happened in the States, but I'm learning about that. Didn't know about that. I live in Canada. Ow. I live in Canada now. Learning about that. Things like that, that are, were created to erase culture. For sure. And subsequently we have seen, we have a massive decrease in salmon populations because of what we've done. 100%. So yeah, in that sense, I liked these two chapters a lot. And I want to say, I think my theory about, sorry, my theory from last episode about the kids who pretended to be animals or played with animal toys are more conservation minded. When I read the shapeshifter bit, I was like, obviously very different. This is so different. But Mm -hmm. I was like, I feel like there's a little bit of a tie. The kids that grew up, and this isn't obviously everyone, but kids that grew up a little bit more inclined to pretend to be an animal or play with animals, like toys seem to be the ones that are just slightly more inclined to conservation work. For sure. Maybe there is a tie there. Very different. I just read that. I was like, hey, my, my funny well, little theory. This. Yeah. No, I think so. I mean, I just like, I don't know. Like I was just talking, we have a new captain who's I'm super stoked that he's here because he's he seems awesome. But um like we're just like doing the get to know you thing and like share like I was sharing a little bit about my background and like it's just like like being like an animal person is just something that's so deeply been a part of me since I was a child and like it got expressed in so many ways um but it's like funny looking back and be like wow you yeah there's yeah there's obviously bad animal people and I'm not trying to equate my silly little theory you are one of them I'm one of the bad animal people. Yeah. I'm awful. Yeah. I'm so bad. Um, but is you bad? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess make sure and everyone listening that you look at yourself and look at your impact on the planet and your history and your mm-hmm. settler colonizerness. Yes. And turn to indigenous voices to learn more about what you can do. Straight facts. Straight facts. Because um, yeah, I can't, yeah. That's it. You you summed it up. There's nothing else I can add to that that, that you summed it up. This right book there. is awesome. I really enjoy this book. But you, sh- if you read those chapters and you're like, wow, I want to learn more about indigenous culture. I want to learn more, more about the indigenous history around me. What can I do to make up for it? I'm feeling a little bad, which you should, yeah. about the history of colonization. What can I do? Yeah. Look up the land you are on. There's websites that tell you what land you're on. Then look at their websites. Look at what like if there's like charities, grassroots organizations, you can go support and turn directly to them. Some that's like the, that that's the action point from these yes. chapters. That is the action point. One hundo. Um, yes, go check out this book. Go educate yourself on some stuff. Learn some things, and do your best not to to just do your best. That's all you can do. Do your best to learn and be a good human and be aware of your impact on other people and the environment, especially your colonial impact. And yeah, 
so next next time we will be reading um chapters 11 and 12 and then um we will be i think i think there's only 13 it's chapters. like four chip yeah so the 13th chapter will be the last that'll be the last one and then we'll move on to a new book and i think we might have a special guest for that book i'm just throwing it out there um who is really fun and interesting and exciting um so yes um, and then also I'm excited to get back on a more regular posting schedule. I do have several interviews lined up and there's going to be some changes to the podcast. Um, we have talked about the Southern residents for two years now. So much to talk about so many interesting things, so many amazing conversations that I've had, but I think that it would be very valuable for us to learn about the ecosystem holistically. So we're going to be diving into other topics and other species within the Salish Sea ecosystem, as well as like probably all the way down to Monterey, because that's where um, our whales come down to the Southern Residence. Um, so yeah, um, so I'll be looking forward to some new fun episodes coming out in the coming weeks. And thank you for being here, Kendra. Always, always a pleasure. Of course, always. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then Kendra and I are probably going to do a pretty sick episode about dolphins soon. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, that's the one way to word it. <laughs> one way to word it. Amazing. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, bye. Have a good day. Bye. Bye.